All right, guys. So today we are going to talk a little bit about the Internet of Things. So I'm sure many of you guys or most of you guys have probably heard the term Internet of Things. And many of you probably have devices in your home that would fall into the Internet of Things category. So things like a smart, so things like smart TVs, smart appliances, um, smart thermostats, and yes, even the smart toaster because somebody decided that the the uh, lowly toaster needed to be connected to the internet. So some of, some of the things we will be discussing today, um, what is the internet of things, security and privacy around IOT, attack surface areas in regards to IOT. Uh, we'll talk about some previous IOT research that I've done. And is it getting better? Is security and privacy getting any better over time? and how to protect yourself if you're going to use these devices um, in your home. All right, so the definition of Internet of Things. So as you can see on here, it's rather lengthy. And if you read the whole thing, it pretty much could include just about anything that's connected to the Internet. So even things like web services or web servers, um, routers, um, things that have been on the internet and connected to the internet for ages could really fall into the internet of things. So really the term itself, internet of things, isn't really all that great. Um, but to this point, nobody's really come up with anything better. So we're kind of um, stuck with it. So one of the things to consider when you think about internet of things, um, instead of thinking, thinking about it as anything that's connected to the inter internet, um, think about it this in this way, things that have basically been converted from being dumb devices to smart devices. So, so we go back to the toaster, um, you know, the lowly toaster is just there sitting on your counter and it just makes toast and it pops up when it's done. But now somebody has decided, oh, we need to connect it to the internet. Um, you know, maybe you can set the temperature of the toaster from your phone, mobile application. Uh, maybe it sends out notifications to your phone going, hey, the toast is done, that, that sort of thing. Um, so that's one way to think of the internet things. Um, you know, something like that has kind of been taken from being a dumb device to a smart device. Um, so one of the other things, um, we want to talk about, um, when we talk about the internet of things is, is, um, consumer routers. Um, because one of the, they're one of the integral parts to, especially on the consumer side, getting all these consumer IOT devices connected to the internet, um, really without the, the router. Um, a lot of the connectivity from IoT devices wouldn't be possible. So we actually throw those into the Internet of Things because, one, they're integral, and two, they've got their own security issues that we have to deal with, um, which kind of um, adds on to the whole um, security issues around the Internet of Things. So you've got the devices themselves, and then these devices are connected behind routers, and the routers themselves have issues, so it kind of gets, gets to... Um, just add on top of itself um, when it comes to security issues and just the whole IoT um, ecosystem. But whatever the definition is for the Internet of Things, um, these devices are really here to stay. They're not going anywhere, and they're only going to, going to get more pervasive. So we really need to take precautions um, in these early days of IoT. All right, so let's talk a little bit about security and privacy. 
So like I said, these um, devices, um, Internet of Things, they're not going anywhere. Um, Gartner says that 8.4 billion connected things will be in use for 2017. So that's a lot. So one of the things you need to think about when you think of IoT devices, um, it's not like you've got a mobile application um, and you've got vulnerabilities associated with that mobile application and that's pretty much it and that's really all you need to fix. The problem with IoT devices is they pretty much cover the whole gamut of things that we look for um, when it comes to vulnerabilities. So these devices combine web applications, they combine mobile applications, they combine back-end systems, they have locally stored data, they have cloud stored data, and a whole ton more of other stuff they do. And when you actually start thinking of IoT devices in these in this term, or these terms, um, where they they basically touch all these different areas in security, or that involve or have security issues, the vulnerabilities start to multiply exponentially. So what? So while you may have a mobile application that's associated with an IoT device that may have a few vulnerabilities, when you combine those that the vulnerabilities in that mobile application with vulnerabilities that are found in the web application, vulnerabilities in the backend system, a few uh, vulnerabilities quickly turns into you know 50, 60, or 100 vulnerabilities when you're talking the whole. Um, complete IOT device and everything that's associated with that IOT device that's needed to make it function correctly. And the big problem right now um, is that security and privacy really take a back seat for manufacturers. Um, really it's not even on it's not even in their on their radar for the most part. It's kind of one of those things that's way over the horizon um, that they can't even really see. So it's kind of out of sight, out of mind. But they're in such a hurry to get these products to market as quickly as possible. Um, but so they don't even bother to um, try to implement security and privacy of these things. Like I said, it's just get these things out in the market as quickly as possible. I mean, the other thing is a lot of these things are low margin. So they need to get these things out quick and they need to sell tons of them to uh, make any money. However, given all the given all the things that manufacturers aren't doing um, from the security and privacy side, um, fortunately, um, this hasn't gone unnoticed by uh, certain groups. So one of those groups is the FTC, the Federal Trade Commission. So I think earlier last year, sometime last year, the FTC ordered ASUS, um, which ASUS makes a lots, lots of different things. They make computers, laptops, routers, that sort of thing. But this uh, particular order was associated with the lack of security in their routers. So the FTC ordered ACES to maintain a security program for the next 20 years. And over the course of those 20 years, ACES is subject to independent audits to make sure that, they're actually, that they actually have a security program in place and that they're actually following it. And then in another, um, another lawsuit brought by the FTC against a router manufacturer, in this case it was D-Link, and actually they brought this lawsuit against D-Link um, for not only their routers, but their cameras as well. And again, it was brought um, against D-Link because of inadequate security. 
So this one I think just came about earlier this year. So this one's still ongoing. So there hasn't really been any settlement with D-Link as to, as to what they're going to do. But I think one of the stories I read that D-Link's basically saying um, that whatever the FTC is saying is not true and that they don't have inadequate security. However, um, there's plenty of um, stories about vulnerabilities found with D-Link um, in regards to D-Link routers out there on the inter internet. So whether that um, D-Link story will hold true, uh, we'll have to wait and see. And then in another instance, and this one was rather interesting. So New York State, um, they forced a smart lock maker to improve its security. So they actually went as far as um, making the um, smart lock maker put certain items in place. So they told this maker to add encryption to protect passwords, electronic keys, and other credentials on the locks. Or sorry, to use encryption to protect passwords, use encryption to protect electronic keys, and also use encryption to protect other credentials on the locks. And then they also uh, wanted this maker to prompt users to change the default password during initial setup. All these things are really things that you would think would be in place, especially for a smart lock. Um, all these security measures, you think they would be in place um, by default. But again, because the manufacturers are so eager to get these things out in the market, they usually skip over anything that's security related, which is kind of, like I said, it's kind of ironic um, coming from a smart lock maker, which is meant to um, protect your home. And this is actually something we saw when we did research <coughs> on security systems. Um, you know, security system, home security systems were supposed to, or were meant to protect your homes from burglary or intruders or whatever. And a lot of times they had vulnerabilities that could um, allow an attacker to, you know, do things like simply turn the security system off or whatever. So privacy laws. Um, so there's a couple issues with privacy laws right now. So there was a privacy law that was, that was um, or at the federal level that was put into place back in 1974. Now, obviously that was way before anybody ever thought about the internet or IOT. So that, that, that one hasn't really been updated um, at this point. There have been some others added, um, like HIPAA and COPA, to protect specific things, um, like medical data and uh, data that's collected on children and so forth. However, there's not really anything at the federal level that's specific to um, data collected by, say, like IoT devices. Now, there are various um, privacy laws from that vary from state to state. However, the rigor of these privacy laws varies widely from state to state. Most people hear about, hear about California privacy laws, which are usually some of the strictest in the country. Um, then you have other states that um, really kind of do the minimum and don't even really come close to, to uh, what California is doing. So again, it's really a problem. Um, if you're a manufacturer and you're trying to adhere, like if you're selling products all across the United States and you're trying to adhere to certain privacy laws, it's like at this point, it's kind of like, all right, which ones am I supposed to adhere to? Um, you know, what gets you in trouble in one state might not get you in trouble in another. And I think it really be, it really be in the best interest of any everybody at this point if we had a 
privacy law that was at the federal level. And then there's something, um, a report that just came out in the last couple of weeks, and it has to do with um, back-end systems used by mobile app developers. So the reason why I bring this up is because um, most IoT devices, IoT systems, for the most part, they almost all have some kind of mobile app application associated with them. So one of so the big issue in this report um, was that a wide range of data exposure is happening on backend systems um, used by mobile app developers because they're not being secured properly. So you add this um, you add this data exposure just from the simple act of making mobile apps. Add this on top of the other problems that IoT has, and again, it just gets to it just starts accumulating and piling on top of itself. So let's talk about um, let's move on to talking a little bit about attack surface areas. So right now we have around twenty attack surface areas on the OWASP IoT project. Um, I'm sure there's going to be more added down the road, and I'm sure there's probably a lot more out there that we haven't thought of. But right now, we have around 20 attack surface areas. <coughs> Excuse me. And some examples of attack surface areas are web interfaces, physical interfaces, firmware, network, cloud, mobile, API, etc. And the thing with attack surface areas, each one of these attack surface areas has multiple potential vulnerabilities associated with each attack surface area. So again, this is where, when it comes to IoT devices, the number of vulnerabilities can quickly multiply when you're talking about all these different um, attack surface areas. And then one of the other things that um, usually shows up if you're doing any kind of IoT research is a lot of these vulns, vulnerabilities that are discovered um, as part of IoT testing, a lot of these things end up being vulns that we were discovering in the early days of like mobile application, in the early days of web application. So it's like we're doing this all over again um, when it comes to web application security or mobile application security. It's like we're doing this all over again um, when it comes to IoT. So a lot of these vulnerabilities are years or even decades old at this point. And one of the big problems when it comes to IoT um, is firmware packages. So when it comes to firmware packages, um, they're really using old and or unsupported versions of various third-party components. And one of the one of the, one of the best examples examples of this, and it just happened recently, is that a vulnerability was found in some various Ubiquity network gear. And the vulnerability was only there because the this particular um, firmware on this network gear was using a 20-year-old PHP build. And 20 years old, that's from 1997. So why any why in the world anybody would put network gear uh, put network devices out on the market that's using a 20 year old PHP build. Yeah, I have no idea. All right. So moving on to previous IOT research that I've done. So as you can probably imagine, um, a lot of the, 
issues we find with IoT devices are, are, are a lot of what a lot of a lot of, a lot of what's out there now are things that um, security researchers see all the time. So it's cross-site scripting, weak credentials, account harvesting, unencrypted network services, and that's just to name you know a few. There's tons of other stuff out there that's some of the normal stuff you see. I mean, it's you'll end up seeing like network, um, the usual network vulnerabilities, um, and all that sort of thing. So one of the things I added to the slide, and I think is particularly interesting, is that when you start looking, especially when you start looking at um, consumer routers, and this is one of the things we did, we looked at consumer routers and started pulling the firmware apart on these things. So a lot of these devices, they all use the same SSL certificate. So a lot of these things, they have some sort of admin interface on there, whether it's accessed locally or it's accessed over the web. Um, at least they've tried to put some kind of um, encryption and protection around the communications when it comes to accessing the web interface. However, even though they've attempted to do this, they use the same SSL certificate on every device. So in this instance, and I think this in the screenshot here um, that has 80,000 results in here, I think this is actually for an ubiquity device. So if you are familiar with Shodan, um, Shodan is basically a search engine that just searches the internet for various things. So you can go, you can search on there for all, all, all manner of different things, um, ports, um, services, whatever. Um, but this, in this particular case, the firmware was pulled from a, uh, or from some ubiquity firmware. Um, it was pulled apart. The certificate was found. The SSL certificate was pulled out of the firmware. You can generate the serial number of the certificate, pop that certificate number or the serial number of the certificate SSL certificate into Shodan, and Shodan will basically tell you how many devices out there are using that same certificate serial number. So this is current, and for this particular SSL certificate, I used on um, ubiquity device ubiquity devices. There's about eighty thousand devices out there with this on there. And in this particular case, it's even worse because the certificate's private key is on the device. So once you have the private key, you can essentially decrypt any communications using that particular SSL certificate. So yeah, not good. And then here's another one that I always, that I find humorous. Um, and again, this was, yeah, this is something we found when we were, again, um, looking at firmware pulled off of um, consumer routers. So, cons like I said, so consumer routers have um, web, admin or web admin interfaces on there. So, obviously, they've got to have some kind of web service running on there to serve up the admin pages. So this is an example of one that we found on several routers. It's something called mini HTTPD. It's just a simple, small um, web server. However, um, and you'll notice by the website, it looks like it's an, a, a website from that was designed back in the 90s. Um, this particular author, he simply put it out here as an experiment on making a web server. This is something that was never meant to be in production or put on um, consumer devices, um, or whatever. So 
again, this thing was showing up on um, multiple devices. And my guess is, you know, somebody said, hey, develop a web application for this particular router. A developer went out on the internet, found something that was free. Hey, it works. Um, throw it on there and call it a day. Um, we found another web service on consumer routers. Um, and again, this is, it was just a simple web server, something somebody had made on the internet. Um, and actually this particular, um, web services or the project itself has actually been abandoned. So it's not even supported anymore yet. It's still running on, uh, numerous consumer routers out there. So like I mentioned earlier, um, the firmware is really just a, it's just a big, um, mishmash of third-party components. Um, some don't, some are updated, some are old to begin with, some are never updated, um, and that sort of thing. So yeah, it's just kind of a, uh, it's a big mess when it comes to um, firmware on consumer routers. And going back to, and continuing the conversation on about consumer routers. <coughs> so if you ever pull these, the pull the firmware apart, You'll notice on a lot of these, a lot of the routers out there, they have um, some third-party components uh, built into them to help with help make them function. And some of the more common ones are BusyBox, which is a uh, piece of software that gives a user um, some limited Linux commands to use from the command line. Um, DropBears, um, so SSH implementation. And then, of course, um, OpenSSL for um, performing encrypted communications. So the bad part about all this is um, it's not necessarily there's anything wrong with the software they're using. So, you know, using BusyBox or DropBear or whatever, there's nothing wrong with that. However, a lot of these um, consumer routers had versions of BusyBox, like dating back to 2005, um, they had versions of DropBear, which again, this is SSH, and it's supposed to be for secure communications. However, some of these versions were dating back all the way to 2008. And then even OpenSSL, um, even though they were trying to put OpenSSL in there, they still did things like put versions of out-of-date versions of OpenSSL on there that dated all the way back to 2002. And then, of course, we had the usual suspects, um, blank admin passwords, passwords stored locally in the clear. And of course, one of the big problems right now with not only consumer routers, but all IOT devices is the lack of updates. Now there's some, there's some, um, there's plenty of devices out there that get updates on a regular basis. Like my thermostats, I see them getting updates all the time, but there's a whole lot more devices out there that have been thrown out of the market and the manufacturers have absolutely no intention of ever updating these things. So as long as some of these devices are active and um, persistent on the internet, they will there will be vulnerabilities that can be taken advantage of. All right, so here's the question. Um, the research we did was from a year or two ago. So in the meantime, I think the question right now is, and this should be a question that's asked on a daily basis, really, is it getting any better over time um, in regards to IoT security and privacy? And unfortunately, the, real, the answer is um, not really. Again, I go back to there's tremendous pressure on these manufacturers to get these devices out to market. Um, again, they're low margin. 
so they've got to sell a lot of them and they've got to get them out on the market quick quickly and a lot of times uh, the manufacturers have no, have absolutely zero time to include security um, and privacy again um, especially when you're talking about firmware and I mean most of the IOT devices have some have some sort of firmware that runs on them they're really just a complete mishmash of components and when you if you spend any time looking at these um, pulling firmware apart and looking at it, you really just kind of shake your head and wonder, um, you know, what did they, did they find some guy um, on the internet said, hey, we need some firmware developed for a camera and, you know, go find out whatever you find, whatever you need off the internet, but you can't buy anything. Um, and it's all got to be free and you guys got to pull it off the internet. That's really what it looks like when it comes to, comes to looking at this firmware. And even when they make an attempt to do things like use SSL, they botch that up because they put versions of open SSL from, you know, the early 2000s or whatever. So they really don't even, you know, even though they might be slightly trying, they still kind of like uh, really mess it up um, by adding services that are really just completely out of date or services that have been abandoned or aren't even supported anymore. So... Um, yeah, so anyway, yeah, firmware is just ugly if you spend any time looking at it. Um, and then also there's technical um, limitations to a lot of these IoT devices like low processing power. A lot of these devices hardly have any processing power really, and a lot of them really, they only have the minimum processing power needed to serve um, whatever function it is they're trying to serve. So many of the devices can't even handle um, the security overhead. So like security overhead that's required from SSL or performing on, on device encryption, those sort of things. Um, a lot of these devices can't even handle it. And then, um, we have a couple of things that have been in the news lately. So, and that's botnets and DDoS attacks related to IOT devices. So I'm sure most of you guys have heard of the Mirai botnet. Um, that's one of the um, biggest botnets that's been in the news lately. Um, a couple of examples of where the Mirai IoT botnet was used in DDoS attacks. Um, and these are a couple of things you might have heard already. Um, there was a, it was used in a DDoS attack against the Krebs on security site. And the amount of traffic flowing to his site um, reached 620 gigabits per second, all just because of the Mirai botnet. And then there was another reported attack against um, the web host OVH, and that one apparently reached one terabit per second. So yeah, so even though these IoT devices are small and a lot of times they don't lack any power, processing power, when you combine millions of them, um, yeah, it gets to be a problem. And then actually one other thing I wanted to mention as far as um, um, IoT devices being used in botnets. Um, and then there was a third story. There was about a million Deutsche Telekom routers that were crashed by exploitation attempts from some kind of variation of Mirai. So, yeah, so like I said, yeah, not good when it comes to um, IoT botnets. So, and then, um, and this is, I think this was just something recently um, that showed up. Um, there's another IoT, there's some more malware that goes after IoT devices. This one, in, in this case, it's called 
Cursori. And it's actually targeting 1,000 different models of IP cameras. And it takes advantage um, of these IP cameras uh, by universal plug and play. So again, if you've got consumer routers and you're running IoT devices at home, definitely make sure um, universal plug and play is turned off. There's just no really good reason to have that on. And then data breaches. So there was an interesting study um, that just came out and it, it involved 553 IT decision makers. And this was in, re in regards to IoT or data breaches caused by IoT devices. So what they found in the study was that 78% of these IT decision makers thought that it was somewhat, somewhat likely that their organization would experience data loss or data theft due to IOT devices in the next two years. So that's pretty, um, if you're, if you know, from an IP, IT standpoint, that's, uh, that's pretty scary. I mean, these IOT devices are obviously becoming more, more pervasive from a consumer standpoint, um, but they're also going to start showing up more and more in the enterprise. All right, so by this point, you're probably saying to yourself, wow, maybe I should just throw all my IoT devices away, or you know, maybe I was thinking about buying that smart thermostat and now I'm not going to. So personally, um, I mean, I have multiple IoT devices running at my house. So I've got some smart thermostats, I've got some security cameras, um, I've got some of the um, Amazon devices and that sort of thing running. But the thing you've got to remember and you've got to make, you need to really make every attempt to do this if you're going to run these IoT devices, uh, especially at home, is segment, 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 segment your network if you can. Um, so like I said, I have these devices running at home and I have these things absolutely separated out from the my core home network. And since most of the IoT devices, not all, but most are wireless, um, and a lot of the consumer routers, the uh, newer consumer routers allow you to bring up multiple wireless networks. <coughs> it's pretty simple to um, simply put these IoT devices on their own wireless network so that they're not really touching anything and they can't hurt anybody but themselves. So again, if you're going to run these at home, um, try and um, put these on a separate network of some sort. Now, like I mentioned early on, um, the I IoT devices have their issues, um, but as I mentioned too, um, the routers have their own set of issues. And there's not a whole lot, if you wanna have internet at, at home, um, unfortunately, there's not much you can do. You don't really wanna connect um, things on your home network directly to the internet, obviously, so you wanna put some kind of router in front of them. So obviously having some router in front of them is better than not having anything um, but you got to keep in mind that these routers do have their own set of issues that come with them. And again, like I mentioned, if you've got a consumer router, definitely check for universal plug and play and make sure that is disabled. Um, I haven't bought a router in a while, so I don't know if they're coming with UPnP disabled by default these days. Um, uh, but I know a lot of older routers in the past, you would come or would come with, um, UPnP enabled by enabled by default. The other thing you can do is, is if you have the, um, 
have the time and you've got the technical skills is set up your own personal firewall. There's plenty of Linux distros out there um, for bringing up a simple firewall so the so that you don't have to use a consumer router. Um, and then there's some other things out there that are more sophisticated that are similar to enterprise firewalls. Um, personally, I use um, Sophos products that used to be a Starro. So there's the Sophos um, UTM, and then there's also um, the Sophos XG firewall, which is their next generation firewall. And both of those, you can um, sign up for a home use license, and it's free. And again, um, yeah, disable UPnP if you can. All right, so that pretty much wraps up um, this little presentation. Um, hopefully this has given you some insights into exactly what IoT devices are, um, some of the issues around security and privacy, some of the attack surface areas, um, some of the scary things that we found as part of the research. And you know, hopefully things will get better. Um, but personally, I don't think they probably will until, until governments start to regulate it, unfortunately. Um, and you're starting to see some of that with the Federal Trade Commission, where they're trying to force manufacturers to make things safer. Um, but we'll see how that goes. All right, guys, that's it. Um, have a great day, and we'll talk to you later.